Hey everybody, this is Chess Griffin, and welcome back to Linux Reality. And I really do like that new that uh, new music. And in fact, it's funny. I've gotten a lot of emails, and there's been some posts in the forums about it. People have really, uh, really enjoyed that new music. So I think it's I think it's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. This is episode 46 of Linux Reality, and man, we are coming up to 50, the big 5-0, in just a few more weeks, and uh, we're also coming up on a one-year anniversary pretty soon, so we've got some, got some big things coming up, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, in this episode, we're going to talk about things that's a cut, one thing that I've sort of touched on from time to time, and that is certain hidden files and directories, mostly in the home directory, probably. Actually, probably all in the home directory is the ones I'll get to, but there's a whole bunch of different little hidden directories and hidden files that are important. And, uh, so, you know, I thought it might be a good idea to sort of talk about those and, 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 uh, bring everyone's attention to that. Uh, let's see. I've got a few housekeeping items first, though. The most important thing is that the company that hosts my server is moving to, um, they're moving all their servers to a new, uh, center, you know, whatever. And, um, and, and, and so just, they're moving across town. Uh, the provider I'm with, uh, my server's in Chicago. And so they're moving to a, to a new center and, and, and everything. And so they're actually having to shut down the machines and physically move the machines over and all that kind of stuff. So the site's going to be down. I don't have a, f- a firm date just yet. In fact, you know, as luck, as luck would have it, it'll probably be down right when I'm supposed to be posting this episode. But, um, it may be down for six hours, six to 12 hours, maybe half a day, basically something like that. So, uh, just wanted to let you know if, you know, if you come to the site and it's out of, it's out of commission for a while, that's most likely the reason why. So it'll be back. It's not going anywhere, but it may be down. Uh, the other thing is I wanted to, this is kind of cool. Someone brought this to my attention. Um, the December issue, I think it's the December issue of, it's a British magazine, uh, called Linux user and developer. I think it is, uh, in, I think it's the December issue. Maybe it was the November issue, but they had a mention of like three different Linux podcasts and they talked about lug radio and, um, and Linux action show, I think it was, and Linux reality. So that was pretty cool. I was, that was kind of neat to see. Um, and so anyway, that's, hey, pretty cool. You know, that's kind of nice to get some press. I've heard the, the Linux link tech show guys talk about this. And I guess, um, this magazine has done another roundup and haven't, and has not mentioned the Linux link tech show. So I may have to send them an email and, and tell them they need to, uh, mention those guys because, that's that show's been around a lot longer than than this podcast has, so I think they I think they deserve some mention there. But that's pretty cool. So it's kind of nice. I think you can get a copy of that uh, back issue for like you know three British pounds. I think from their website. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So it's a nice little write up. So thank you very much. That's very cool. All right, I think that's about it for all the uh, you know housekeeping stuff. Not a whole lot, and I think we'll just get right into the main segment. Okay, well, like I said, I thought I'd talk about some hidden files and directories. And um, there's 
there's lots, and, and I'm not going to get to all of them, but there's just a few, a few I wanted to point out. This has come up recently, actually, in the forums, um, and that's what kind of prompted me. I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, well, this might be a good idea to talk about this because I've had this come up before. But in your home directory, in your main user's home directory, if you just do a directory listing, a normal directory listing using either Conquer or Nautilus or even in the terminal doing an LS, you know, you normally just see all your standard files and directories. Well, there are also hidden files and directories that are not shown by default. And these hidden files and directories will have a period in front of the name. So it will be like, you know, dot, um, config or something that will be a hidden directory called dot config and you normally wouldn't see that now if you're in a terminal and you do an ls dash la that gives you the long output and it lists all the files then you'll see all the hidden files and directories that start with that period if you're using a graphical file manager like conquer or nautilus there's an option. It's usually very easily found. It's usually in a view menu or something where you'll see something like show hidden files. And it's normally unchecked by default. And so you just select it and it will then display all of the hidden files and directories. Now they're hidden, not for any security reason. I mean that because obviously it's so easy to find these. That's not really, really why. It's just that they are typically files and directories used for configuration settings. And so I think the idea is that typically, normally, your your user will not need to edit those files and directories. So the system is set up to hide them just to make it easier, you know, just to kind of clean up your home folder because, you know, you may only have maybe one folder in your home folder that you can see. Let's call it, you know, documents or something. And when you set it on view hidden or show hidden files and directories, you may find that you've got, you know, 50 hidden files and directories or something. There may be a lot. So rather than clutter your home directory, I think they have it set up so that it just hides anything that starts with a period. But there are some interesting things that are hidden. So that's the sort of the point of this episode is to talk about some of these. So I'm looking at my home directory right now, and um, I'm going to run run down the list here and talk about some of these. Now, the first thing I'll mention is that a lot of these hidden files and directories are there for a particular application. Or to put it another way, some applications will create either a hidden file or a hidden directory where it will store some of its settings or it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, well, it's where it will store account information or something like that. Here's an example. Um, I'm, I'm looking at my home directory right now and, uh, it's got a hidden, um, it's got a hidden directory, uh, for GStreamer. And there's another hidden directory for the Liferea, which is the GNOME RSS reader. Um, and there's another one for Macromedia. That's probably dealing with the Flash plugin. There's another one for Mozilla. Uh, so, you know, there's one for Nautilus. There's one for Thunderbird. So th- those are hidden directories. In other words, there's a directory called dot .thunderbird and dot .nautilus. Uh, those directories, are, again, will have various configuration settings and things for those particular applications. And a lot of these you won't need to worry yourself with. I mean, a lot of them, you, you, you know, that are, you, you won't need to, you know, go in and mess around with. But the ones that are interesting, I thought I'd mention. The first one is one that's called .config. .config is a hidden directory that uh, is sometimes used uh, for setting, is where some window managers will save their 
default settings or their default files. One that comes to mind is OpenBox. OpenBox will create a, a subdirectory in your .config called OpenBox, I think it is, and that's where you can create and, and drop your home, I mean your user-created config files. Uh, there's one in here right now I see that's called GTK-2.0, and there's some configuration files in there. So that's one that, that we, you will occasionally uh, need to look in uh, for configuration files for certain window managers. I think IceWM may use .config for its configuration files. I forget. but uh, So that's one that I have had to use, I have had to go into from time to time. Uh, .evolution, if you use the Evolution email client, that's where some of your mail settings will be stored. Um, .gnome and .gnome2, those are also kind of important, especially .gnome2. .gnome2, because if you're using uh, the current version of GNOME, it is GNOME2, 2.16 or so, uh, in here you will have configuration settings and things for, for several different important sort of pieces of GNOME. For example, uh, there is a folder in here called Nautilus-Scripts, and that's where you can drop in any Nautilus scripts that you want to use. Nautilus is really great. Nautilus, we talked last week about KDE and GNOME, and I mentioned that Nautilus uses scripts where you can kind of extend the functionality of Nautilus. And in fact, we had a listener question, which I will bring up again in our listener feedback section in this episode. But anyway, but that, that's the folder where you would drop those scripts. Uh, there's also a folder for uh, the panel. And I think what that does is, I think you'll see panel2.d, I think it is. And in there, it, there may be a couple of subfolders, but somewhere down in there you'll find either a folder or directory that will contain information about your different launchers that you've set up on your panel. I think that's usually where that information is stored. So if you want to just wipe out your panel settings for the GNOME panel, that is, where you, you know, you've put launchers, you can just, you know, I think you can go in there and delete that file or, or um, directory. I know I've had to do that one, one time before. When, I remember one time having a problem with GNOME panel. It was crashing on me or something. I think I had put something in the panel that was messing it up. So I had to go into that directory and delete something and delete the configuration file for the panel, and then it started up again. Uh, if you use Rhythmbox, I think Rhythmbox creates its playlists and database files in this .gnome2 directory, hidden directory, in, in, a, in a Rhythmbox subdirectory. Uh, so that's where some of that information is held, sort of the underlying uh, information about GNOME 2. The next one is .gnu.pg, and that's the uh, subdirectory for the GPG, which is the GNU Privacy Guard, which is the open source version of PGP. Um, I highly recommend folks take a look at and learn about GPG. Um, it's a fantastic thing. I use it all the time for my personal email. I've got a GPG key that I use to sign all of my emails. And for some folks, I have their keys and I can then send, you know, encrypted emails back and forth. But uh, in this day and age, it's just getting more and more you know, I think, um, appropriate for, for ordinary folks to at least consider signing emails. Uh, that way you know that the emails are coming from you. People don't have to encrypt them if they don't want to, but signing an email I think is a good idea. So anyway, uh, this 
directory contains all of your keys and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's kind of an important uh, subdirectory, hidden directory. The next one is .icons. This is a subdirectory that you know is in your home that you can use to drop new icon sets if you want to install. You can expand them and uh, just put them in icon in your .icons folder or directory in your home directory. And uh, you can then find them in whatever, you know, theme settings that you may have or theme manager uh, for the icons. They should show up. Uh, .kde is a hidden directory for KDE. And, uh, and the one thing I think that's interesting in there is there's that auto start folder where I think you can drop scripts or shortcuts or um, shortcuts, um, symbolic links uh, to other applications that you want to have start up automatically when KDE starts. Uh, Liferia is another hidden directory again for that RSS reader for the GT, the GTK RSS reader. Uh, that's handy because what I've done before is, is I've actually moved that hidden directory from one computer to another and it retains all of my RSS information. So that's kind of, kind of handy. Uh, let's see. The next one I'm going to get to here is .mozilla and, um, there will be a subdirectory in there for Firefox. And that will have your Firefox profile. You may be familiar with how Firefox has profiles. Thunderbird does as well. And you can have multiple profiles in Firefox where you can have different settings. And so the profiles are going to be in this directory. Now, it's my understanding from, I've read this on the Mozilla website. I've never tried this. No, actually, I have tried this, what I'm about to say. You can actually move a profile, a Firefox profile, from one computer to another and even across distribute, I mean, across operating systems. In other words, I'm pretty sure I have moved my Linux Firefox profile over to my work Windows computer. I think I did that a few years ago. So that's kind of neat. Or maybe it was with Thunderbird. But anyway, Thunderbird does the same thing. So both of those .mozilla hidden directories, you will find your profiles. Also in your .mozilla directory, you can create a subdirectory called plugins. I think it's maybe under Firefox where you can insert any user-level plugins, web browser plugins, that is. Usually you'll want to have your web browser plugins installed system-wide for all users, so you'd need to do that as root and install it in a different directory. But it used to be that sometimes people would install plugins locally in their .mozilla slash Firefox slash plugins. I think that's right, uh, directory. And Mozilla or Firefox knows to look in your home for any .mozilla slash Firefox slash plugins directory, and it will load those directories. I mean, those pl plugins as well. Okay, let's see. Next one here is .mutt. I use mutt, the email client, and if you use mutt, you probably know about this hidden directory. That's where all of your mutt.rc files, all of your configuration files are located. And um, let's see. The next one is .themes. .themes is a directory where you can... Uh, download and un and unpack usually if it's a tarball any kind of GTK and maybe I think this is where the I don't know if this is where the KDE themes go I think this it has to do with all that sort of free desktop movement you know there's this what what the different desktop environments are trying to do and they've done a much they've done a really great job of this is to kind of um, come to a, a sort of a consensus on where things should be uh, such as themes or icons or fonts. You know, so, and I think that's part of what the dot themes directory is. There's also a hidden directory called dot fonts. 
in your home directory. And that's also, I think, again, along this sort of free desktop.org movement where they're trying to standardize on some of these things. And so dot themes is where you can extract themes for, I know at least for GTK, and I'm, I think that's the case for QT or KDE themes, but I might be wrong about that. But anyway, dot themes is a, is a directory where at least GTK themes can be uh, unpacked. Uh, okay, and then let's see. The next one is .vim. If you use vim, you probably know about this one as well. I love vim, <laughs> and so I use this uh, subdirectory quite a bit for different plugins and key maps and syntax files and all that kind of kind of cool stuff. Uh, so there's, let's see. So that's basically the main uh, hidden directories I wanted to mention. There's lots others, of course, but these are just sort of the highlights. Now let me get to some of these hidden files. Okay, the first ones I want to get to are a collection, um, and they're all .bash something. The first one is .bash underscore history. The next one is .bash underscore logout. The next one is .bash underscore profile. And the next one is .bash rc. Now all of these uh, these four hidden hidden files uh, all deal with bash and bash is the default shell that's used in most Linux distributions both you know um, when you log in as and also as as your terminal when you just run a terminal application now the um, let me uh, um, let me talk about the the easier ones first dot bash history is a text file that contains uh, the history of the last X number of commands that you've executed um, in your terminal. And you can change that. It's a variable. It's one of those environmental variables. And it's very easy to change to, to, to make it, you know, remember more. But as I remember talking about this in a previous episode, if you open up a terminal and you press the up arrow key, you will start cycling back through previous commands that you have used. And another uh, command that you can, or another thing that you can do in the terminal is, let me try this right now, um, control R starts doing a search and you can start doing a tab completion search of previous commands that you've used in the terminal. I think that's control R or maybe it's alt R. Um, no, I think it's control R. Anyway, so the dot bash underscore history is a text file that actually contains a list line by line of every single command that you've executed in your terminal up to whatever number is set as the max. All right, dot bash underscore logout is a, I've mentioned this before, this is a text file that contains any commands that will be executed when you're logging out of your shell. And um, when you're logging out entirely from the shell, not just a terminal, but, a, but a, and I'll talk about this difference in just a second. I like to put a single word in there, clear. So because most of the time my computers are set up to run level three, at least as that's what it is in Slackware, where it boots to the command prompt and I have to log in and type start X to start my graphical environment. Then when I log out of my graphical environment, I'm back to the prompt. And when I log out of that, then the dot bash underscore logout file is executed. And when I have the word clear in there, it clears the screen and has a nice single prompt up in the upper left-hand corner, all sitting you know, there by itself. That's what the dot bash underscore logout file is. Okay, the dot bash underscore profile. What this is, is, and b before I can explain kind of what this is, let me first sort of explain the, the difference as best I can in a in two minutes, the difference between login shells and interactive shells. 
Um, login shell is the shell that's executed when you're first logging into the system. So like my example, you know, where I have um, my computer set to boot up to the prompt when I, rather than to a graphical display manager like GDM or KDM, you know, a login manager, rather than using that, I have it boot to a prompt. And then when I log in, that is a login shell. And then a um, when I run a terminal within my graphical environment, um, then that is what's called an interactive shell, a non-login interactive shell. It can also be, you can also have your, your login, you can also have at startup a non-login interactive shell. And you can also have login shells that are not interactive. I think that's right. I think I'm getting that right. Anyway, it's very confusing. But what it, what's important is this, is that the dot bash underscore profile is executed basically when you're logging into the system. That's a, just an easy way to think of it. First, what it does is it looks, it looks for a file in slash Etsy called profile. So in other words, slash Etsy slash profile contains uh, environmental variables and other things that are going to apply system-wide. That is where the path is located, the system path that has like slash USR bin and slash USR local bin and all of that. That's in slash Etsy slash profile. So when you first log in, the first file it, it executes, if it finds it, is dot bash underscore profile. Then when it logs out, it, it executes dot bash underscore login. Excuse me, that's dot bash underscore login is another file that it, that it will execute when logging in if it's there. And another file it will execute if it's there is dot profile. Then when you're logging out from the login shell, the dot bash underscore logout is what's executed. Okay, now backing up. Now when you when you've logged in and now when you run a terminal, okay, a non-login interactive shell, then dot bash rc is what is executed. So let's say you're in GNOME or KDE and you just you just run a terminal. That's called a non-login interactive shell. And when you when you when you run that shell, that terminal dot bash rc is executed. When you first logging into the system, it's the dot bash underscore profile is what is executed. Now what's interesting is, is that in most cases these days, the dot bash underscore profile is very simple. And all it usually says is something like, if dot bash rc is there, then, then source it, meaning, meaning, um, include it. It's, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a PHP includes or something. If you know what that is, it's, it kind of like what it does is it says, just run that file or, or basically include that, include the contents of that file here as if it was part of this particular file. So my dot bash underscore profile, that's pretty much all that it says is that it sources the dot bash RC in my home directory. So in other words, what that lets me do is it make, lets me make all the changes I want to ch I want to make to my dot bash RC and it will apply to both the login shell and the interactive shell because it's being sourced in dot bash underscore profile. I'm probably making this way more complicated than I need to, but let me, let me see if I can bring it around and, and help hopefully um, explain it before I lose everybody here. So the dot bash RC then is a text file that's executed when just your plain old terminal is run, like in KDE or GNOME. And what's really great about .bash RC, and I've mentioned this just last week, I think, is 
it's a really handy little text file where you can have all kinds of stuff. You can have you can put aliases in there. Um, you can put um, you can change your environmental variables like that was what we talked about last week about exporting a, another directory into your path. You can do that in your .bash RC. You can change your, the history, you know, of remembered um, commands. What I have is I have I'm looking at mine right now, and I have a, a, a I have a line in there that says export hist file size. That's in all caps. H i s t f i l e s i z e equals three thousand. So it saves the last three thousand commands. And I also have export hist control equals ignore dupes. So it ignores duplicates that are in the history. I also have colors that are sent a set. I also uh, set a pretty cool fancy prompt that's got the time and my path and all this kind of cool stuff. And it changes to red whenever I SU to root, all that kind of cool stuff. That's all in my .bash RC. Um, and again, like I said, aliases. I have a zillion aliases set up. And I also set... Um, set my thing so it starts screen which is an which is an application i haven't talked too much about uh, upon an ssh login and so there's all kinds of neat things you can do in your dot bash rc uh, but most most of the time people will use it for two things primarily one is to change your environmental variables like your path and the other one is to is to set aliases and so that's what the .bash RC file is. Okay, let's move on from the bash uh, hidden files, the .bash RC. By the way, you can find examples of all these files all over the internet. Just search, you know, for sample .bash RCs, and you can, people post them, and so you can get ideas uh, from them. All right, another one is .fonts.conf, and that is a configuration file for your uh, local user uh, in terms of setting up fonts and whether or not you want, you know, hinting or anti-aliasing turned on or not. It's a XML file. Uh, and it's, again, you can find samples of the dot fonts dot comp file. But if you're having, you know, if you feel like your fonts are not looking good, if, if you feel that they're, if you don't like the anti-aliasing or you do, and you don't find that the graphical tools are fixing that for you, uh, just Google around for help with the .fonts.conf file, and you can make some make some changes in there that'll really make things look good. Okay, uh, next couple ones deal with GTK applications. The first one is called .gtkrc. There's also .gtkrc-1.2, and there's also .gtkrc-2.0. And these three files are files where you can set the theme and font settings for your GTK1 and your GTK2 applications. So you, when running them in another window manager, they look nice. You know, if you're running Fluxbox or Openbox or even, you know, KDE or maybe some, some other window managers and you run a GTK application, you know, but you don't have access to the GNOME theme manager, you know, to change the themes and to make it look pretty. It kind of runs with a default kind of ugly GNOME theme. And let's say you have a nice Clearlux theme or something you want to use. Well, these three files are the files that you would go into to, to set the default theme or fonts. And again, there's examples of these all over the Internet. You'll want to look for sample.gtkrc-2.0 files for GTK2 applications. Uh, 
most of the time that's the file you're going to want to change uh, because most applications these days, most GTK applications are GTK2. So like, you know, if you use, um, if you use GFTP or Liferea or Epiphany or uh, Banshee or FSpot or any of those, you know, type of applications, Beep Media Player, those are all GTK2 applications. And uh, in that .gtkrc-2.0 file is where you can uh, set the default theme and font. Okay, uh, .gvimrc is the RC file or the configuration file for gvim, which is the graphical GTK version of vim. So if you have a vimrc file, you can use it at more or less as a .gvimrc file if you for your graphical uh, vim. Let's see, uh, .mutrc is the uh, configuration file for the MUT email client. And if you're using MUT next generation, which is MUTNG, then that configuration file is .mutngrc. And uh, MUT is just so cool. I just, I really like MUT a lot. So um, anyway, uh, .screenrc is a configuration file for screen. And that's kind of cool. I have... I've messed around with my .screenRC because, like I said, I like to use screen, when, especially when I use S, when, especially with SSH. Um, so there's some configuration settings that you can set for screen. Um, most notably, some you know, kind of what's in the uh, the status bar or whatever at the bottom of the screen, and you know, things like that, the key bindings, and because I really don't like the default key bindings for screen. So you can change all that in .screenRC. All right, let's see. Another one is, of course, .vimrc. That's the classic configuration file for Vim, and there's a bazillion sample vimrc files out there on the net. There's a website called .files. I think it's .files.org, maybe, or maybe it's .files.net, and they have uh, sample .files. These are all called .files because they have a dot in the front. <laughs> and uh, they have sample .bashrc. They have sample .vimrc. They have all kinds of sample configuration files for all these different, you know, tools and applications and whatnot. And so that's kind of a cool site. That's kind of fun. I've gotten some good information from from, from those sites. So uh, let's see. Anything else here? There's a few others, but, I mean, I think that's basically it. You know, .xinitrc I mentioned is a file that you can use if, if you're like me and you have your system set to to boot to the prompt, then .xinitrc is a file that you would want to uh, uh, change because that is executed when you run startx. Now, if your computer is set up to boot directly to a login manager, like Ubuntu does, or like most distributions do, then you don't need to worry about .xinitrc. Um, that doesn't get executed when you use GDM or KDM or anything like that. Okay, I think that's it. Um, for the um, hidden files and directories. And so I think with that, I actually have a, a pretty cool tip this week. So I think we'll get to that next. Hi Chess, this is Alexandro from Guadalajara in Mexico. And I want to send a, a tip uh, regarding RSync. RSync is a utility similar to SCP or SFTP um, from the SSH toolkit. 
but this one is specifically built for synchronization. So this is good if you want to have, for example, uh, you have multiple machines and you use POP3 email, you want to have synchronized all your mailboxes throughout the different um, um, uh, machines that you have your email client. So for example, one thing that I will do, I will have uh, Thunderbird, uh, the folder that stores all the emails, be synchronized throughout my network. That way, uh, when I check my email, regardless of the box, I will have my same content. And it was use usually useful for sent email, which is not always recorded across a network. So rsync would be a good utility to have them uh, all um, in sync. So what I will do, for example, I will go uh, to the command line, I will type R-S-Y-N-C, which is rsync, space, dash, A, V, Z, and then the um, the destination, no, the original folder, which will be something like dot Mozilla dash I'm um, slash Thunderbird slash uh, mail. Um, I can't remember the full path right now, but it will be something like that. And then you will put space and the IP of the remote box that you want to synchronize with. Um, then you will put um, a colon a semicolon. A colon, sorry, and then um, slash homes slash users slash dot Mozilla and whatever the destination you store the email, which will be pretty much the same uh, from the original to the destination address of it. And what I will do is we will build a table that will uh, basically synchronize all the dot MBS file for files and uh, and will basically make it identical from one box to the next. So this is my tip. I hope it's useful. Um, I guess you can also use cron if you want them like um, to synchronize at a specific time so you don't have to type it each night or each day. And I hope it's useful for everybody. Take care. Bye. Thank you very much, Alejandro. That's a very interesting tip. I've never used rsync that way i mean i've used i use rsync all the time i love rsync but i've never used it to actually to move mail folders like that i mean it makes sense it's a great idea um so thank you very much for that and by the way before i move on to the feedback here i did want to say that i got a lot of audio uh, files from people and that was so cool i got several tips i've gotten some feedback you know most people called the listener tip line the hotline uh, a couple of people just kind of recorded a file and emailed it to me. Anything like that is perfectly fine. Whatever you guys like. I really like getting the audio files. So I'm going to spread these out because I've, I've, you know, I love them. And so I don't want to just do them all at once, even though I'm so tempted to because I really like them all and I want to just play them. But if you sent me something or if you called the voicemail, don't worry. You're going to be, I mean, I'm going to play it. I'm just going to spread it out over the next couple of weeks. So don't, don't worry about that. And, but don't let that, uh, stop you from calling, you know, if you haven't called already. I mean, because, you know, these are, these will run out in just a, you know, two or three weeks. And so I definitely want to have more audio comments and more audio feedback. So anyway, thank you, Alejandro, and thanks to everybody else. I think with that, I'm going to get to some feedback and we're going to start with one piece of audio feedback.
Good evening, Jeff. I hope this is the right number. Uh, my name is John. I've been a Linux user probably since about, oh, 98, 99, give or take. Also a Windows user. I've sent you an email before uh, regarding that issue. I kind of like Windows, but I love uh, Linux. I uh, just want to say hi, you requested some voicemail, and so I'm giving it to you. Um, currently installing uh, Fedora Core 6 on a Dell box right now, and currently running an HP box, uh, 1.8 gigahertz, uh, with a gig of memory in it, uh, 280 gig uh, uh, SATA hard drive, that basically runs the backbone of my business. Uh, it runs a program, not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's a company called Linux Canada, uh, who makes a program called Quasar. It's an accounting software, and that runs on that box, which then I use my Windows XP box uh, to use it as a GUI client to interface with the Linux box, and therefore I run my business from there. Uh, you can check me out on the web at www.projectwireless.org. That is my website. I write a full e-commerce site from that site. Uh, it's hosted by ProStores, which I'm not sure if they are Linux-based or not, uh, but it's a pretty interactive setup with them, which is pretty neat. Anyway, I just wanted to say hi, and that's about the end of this message, and I'll probably call back again and leave you more messages. And if you like this, uh, oh, by the way, this is coming to you to uh, via Skype, not by cell and not by your, um, I forgot what you said, your web-based recording service. I don't remember what the technical name was for it. But Skype is a great program. I recommend it for anybody. It can be Windows or Linux compatible. I have it running on both boxes right now. Um, and it's free to call. I think they just changed that though in January. I think it's... I think, oh, that was just my machine finishing up a burn. <laughs> uh, I think they just changed it. Now it's twenty nine ninety nine for the entire year and you can call anywhere out, which is still so cheap compared to what a home phone my and mine costs. Anyway, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. It's about 12.30 my time uh, at night. Uh, good morning and good night. So, talk to you again soon. Bye. Okay, well, great. Well, thank you so much for sending uh, that voicemail along. That's cool about Skype. I knew that it was not going to be free anymore. I know that that was just a limited time from last year. I don't think I realized it was only $30 for the whole year. That is a pretty good deal. Um, so um, I'm gonna, I may have to check that out. Skype's not too bad, I don't think. I mean, uh, it's not great, but, hey, it's it's pretty cool. And I'm going to try to do some interviews with Skype as well. But, anyway, that might be down the road. But thank you so much for calling. I really appreciate that uh, that voicemail. And it's very cool. It's uh, very cool to get that. And I'm very glad that you're enjoying the podcast and everything. So thank you very much. I got an, a really kind of a funny email here from um, from Cliff, and I wanted to read this. He says, um, let's see here. He says, I've been listening around the show a bit today and heard your comment about the new logo. Had to check it out. Well done. I see multiple aspects of, quote, work in progress in it. Not just in the obvious implied by the shape, but the coloration is suggestive of a painting someone's in the midst of working on. That's Linux. Multiple aspects of independent development, all forever in progress together. Like I says, well done. 
but I notice the shape depicted is of an edge piece. Does this imply you subscribe to the flat earth theory? <laughs> Are you expecting to encounter dragons lingering over the abyss somewhere to the west of Scott's Bluff, Nebraska? <laughs> that was from Cliff. I thought that was funny. I hadn't even really <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. But that's a good point. That's a good point, Cliff. Um, you know, someone else pointed out a couple other little anomalies, such as um, I think uh, the British Isles appear uh, to be attached to northern France. And uh, someone else mentioned to me that uh, the state of Florida in the United States looks a little bit smaller uh, than it does in normal life. But, hey, that's okay. I got no problems with those little anomalies. It gives it some character. You know, uh, it's not supposed to be an exact reproduction. I sort of look at it as sort of, you know, with some artistic license there and that sort of thing. But you know what Cliff says is true, actually. That really is actually partly why I picked it, because I liked the idea that, you know, the color is kind of spreading, meaning like Linux is spreading, that, you know, some of the world looks finished and some of it does not. And, um, you know, um, and hey, it starts in Europe, because that really is the birthplace of Linux, at least. That's where Linus is from. So anyway, I just think that's a great logo. And uh, But I thought that was a fun email. So <laughs> thank you, Cliff. Okay, got one here from Lawrence. And Lawrence says, um, hi, Chess. Thanks for the great podcast. I've listened to all your shows and it helped me learn. I learned a lot about Linux. Currently, I've set up an Ubuntu Linux server, which acts as a file server and where we gather all files for archi for archiving to be later burned to DVDs. It works flawlessly. I've also converted the office computer from Win98 to Ubuntu, and I have very good feedback from the staff. It is stable and just works. Never do I have to go to the office again and again just to fix Windows problems caused by viruses, spywares, etc. Question. I think it's now time for me to really get deeper into the system and, and know how it really works under the hood. Should I learn by using Debian or Slackware? I know a lot of the other distributions are Debian-based. If I learned Debian, would I be able to tweak some settings in these distributions? Or should I use Slackware? If I learn Slackware, will it be applicable to, mo to almost the majority of distributions? I've heard your latest podcast about Slackware, and I'm encouraged to try it out. Thanks, and keep up the good work. We appreciate it. And that's Lawrence from the Philippines. Um, Lawrence, gosh, that's the sort of the that's a good question, and it really there's no easy answer. I would say both, to be honest with you. I really like Debian and Slackware. Um, to answer your specific questions, definitely if you learn Debian or if you work on Debian systems, it will certainly apply to Debian-based distributions like Ubuntu and vice versa. I mean, the things you've learned with Ubuntu should apply to Debian. Uh, they really are. Ubuntu really is very much Debian under the hood. Uh, so uh, those things do apply. And there's lots of Debian-based distributions. Uh, Slackware is a little bit different, um, but only in some ways. I mean, in some ways, really in just how the, the init scripts are handled and, and how uh, the scripts are handled that start and stop services and things. By and large, it's they're pretty similar. I mean, I'd say they're probably 95% similar, uh, whereas Debian and Ubuntu are close to 100% similar. So, yes, I mean, in general, all Linux distributions are more or less the same. Um, if you really want to learn, really, really want to learn, then I would suggest considering doing Linux from scratch. Now, I've never done Linux from scratch. It is very time-consuming from what I understand, but it is also supposed to be a really excellent way to learn. It's it Basically, you're building your own Linux system from scratch. <laughs> That's why they call it Linux from scratch. Uh, it's supposed to be really cool. It's free, of course. You could download the free book, I think, off the Internet or something, and they tell you how to get started. So 
But I would try either Debian or Slackware if you don't want to do Linux from scratch. And since I did the podcast on Slackware, you know, you start with Slackware, but, uh, you know, do go with Debian too. Go, try them both. I just, you know, I, that's what it really comes down to is try them both and see which one you like more. So I think you'll learn a lot either way. And let's see, last email I'll read for this week is um, from uh, Bartek. And see, this just goes to show you the internationalness of this of this uh, audience because, you know, I got one email. I got, let's see, I got two. I got the, the audio thing from someone in the U.S. I got an email, Cliff. I'm not sure. I actually, I didn't know where he was from. Lawrence was from the Philippines. And here's Bartek. And he says, my name is Bartek. I'm from Europe, Poland. Well, what can I say? I'm listening to your podcast right now, Linux Reality Episode 44, System Logs. I just want to thank you very much for your passion and, I may say, love for Linux. Every week I listen learn more and more about this outstanding system. I've been using Linux for about three years right now. It is not my primary system. I have Windows XP also. I like doing my homebrew development, university stuff on Linux, because I don't like this handy-dandy IDE on Windows, which is called Microsoft Visual Studio 2000X x equals 3 or x equals 5. Everybody should learn how to program on Linux. I admit it may be more pro professional, but in the end, it is very good to have that knowledge. If you want to write good code, there's no better place than Linux. Once again, thank you. Your podcast, it's my favorite. Okay, it is the favorite. <laughs> P.S. Don't try to read my last name. I know it will be hard for you. <laughs> That's from Bartek. So Bartek, yes, I will not try to read your last name because I tried to read it to my wife and I couldn't do it. And you're right, it was hard for me. But thank you for that email, Bartek. That's uh, a really nice email, and I'm I'm really glad that you're enjoying the podcast and that you're that is helping you. And you're right, I am very passionate about Linux, and I do love Linux, and that is really why I'm doing this podcast. That and because of all the great feedback that you guys have given me. You know, I just want to spread the word. I know I've said it a million times, so, you know, if you're rolling your eyes hearing it now, just have to forgive me. But, you know, I'm not a developer. I'm not a coder, so I can't contribute in that way. And this podcast is the best way for me to contribute. And I think I've been able to do so because I've had a lot of people say that they have learned a lot from the podcast and that they've, you know, it has helped them switch over. And that's what I want to do because in the end, I want more people using Linux and I know Linux can be hard sometimes. It, it, it is. I mean, it can be hard and it can be frustrating and, uh, it does things a little bit differently and it can be difficult for sure, but we're all in it together and it's these, most things are not impossible. I, you know, very, I can't think of the last time I've been totally stumped on something. I've always been able to get something to finish or to work or whatever. And it, it is hard definitely sometimes, but I really think it's worth it. The benefits far outweigh all, all the all the negatives, if you will. So, uh, Bartek, thank you for that email, and I'm really glad that you're enjoying Linux and that you're enjoying the podcast, and thank you for taking the time to send me that email. One last thing here before I go, and I, I was going to mention this a few minutes ago, the, um, the email I got last week about the Nautilus having the ability in Ubuntu to have the you know open terminal here, I had mentioned that I thought that there was a script and, and there were some other ways to do it. Well, in the threads, in the um, posts to the thread about last week's episode 45, several people had some good suggestions. And I also posted a link to a, to a, to something in the Ubuntu wiki about that exact issue. And there is a script in the Ubuntu wiki that you just copy and paste it and you put it in that Nautilus scripts folder under dot 
GNOME 2. That's one of those hidden folders we were, we were talking about. You put it in there, and then you'll have an open terminal here option in your right-click context menu in Nautilus. And I've done that in Nautilus. I tried it out, and it works perfectly. So very cool stuff. And uh, see, there's always an answer to everything. Um, anything you want to do in Linux, it can be done. Okay, I think that's it for this week, everyone. Let's wrap it up. Okay, everyone, uh, thanks again for listening. I really appreciate all the great support. And a couple of people sent me some donations this week. That was very, very kind of you. Thank you so much for that. I definitely can use the donations to help out with the hosting and all that. So the Libsyn fees, everything. I Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, please send me email comments, uh, if any, to linuxreality at gmail.com. Or, preferably, please call the listener hotline at 206-338-6359 and leave a message. You can just call it from your cell phone, call it from Skype, whatever. You can use the audio service, which, you know, there's a link to that on the homepage, the Linux Reality homepage, and leave me an audio message. Or you can, of course, just record it yourself and email it. That's what some folks have done recently, and that works just fine. So, I love getting those audio comments and tips. Let's see, again, don't forget about my providers uh, move this coming week sometime. So when they move the machines, the site, the Linux Reality site and the forums will be down for a few hours, maybe even up to half a day. I don't know when that will be. I've asked him for a firm date, and he hasn't given it to me yet. So if I have a firm date, I'll post it in the forums or maybe put it on the Linux Reality homepage. So, But don't worry. If you go to the site and it's out of commission for a little bit, don't worry about it. Just come back later. I'm not going anywhere. The site's not going anywhere. We'll be back. So... Hope you all have a great week, and I'll catch you all next time. This has been Episode 46 of Linux Reality. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.